Hello and welcome to the Better Human podcast. My name is Adam Wagner and I'm a barrister specialising in human rights. This podcast is part of a mini-series co-hosted with Susie Allegre, International Human Rights Barrister, Associate at Doughty Street Chambers and Research Fellow at the University of Roehampton. And we are looking in this mini-series at issues of human rights and um, digital information, social media. And we're grateful to the Office of the OSC Representative on Freedom of the Media for a grant through their Spotlight on AI and Freedom of Expression projects support this mini-series. The Better Human podcast is supported by Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering LLB undergraduate programme taught in London. With Goldsmiths' rich heritage of social awareness and engagement, you can study with students and academics passionate about criminal justice, human rights and politics um, and law within a framework of social justice. And today we're joined by Lorna Woods, who's a professor of internet law at the University of Essex. Thank you so much for being with us uh, here today. So this mini series of podcasts, um, as you know, is focused on artificial intelligence and the way that that interacts with the lesser known aspects of freedom of expression, particularly freedom of information, both to impart and receive information um, and freedom of opinion. And we're delighted that you're here today to talk to us um, about recommender algorithms and personalization and how those uh, affect these rights. So I was wondering if you could start out just by telling us a bit more about what are recommender algorithms and personalization? What are we gonna be talking about today? Well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, recommender algorithms is a uh, non-technical term, non-computer technical term, to refer to the tools that social media platforms have developed to direct content towards particular users. Uh, given the vast quantity of information out there, it would be impossible really for us to sit and to manually choose what we wanted uh, to see. So uh, computer programs have been developed to bring particular items of content to the attention of particular users. So this is a change from um, say the traditional scheduling you see on uh, television or even uh, things like program guides which organize the way you see particular channels because this is a, a, a sort of a dynamic process and crucially it will it can distinguish between different types of users and this is the idea of personalization that based on your engagement and your interests and what people you're connected with are interested in will depend um, on, uh, will, will affect what you end up seeing. Obviously, there are uh, different degrees of sophistication uh, to that, depending on, on the platform and the nature of the feed. But, but basically, it's a, it's a tool for prioritizing um, different sorts of content for different users what kind of i mean look i use facebook and twitter um and you know all the, all the rest and and i get these kind of recommendations and, and quite often they seem to be you know almost sort of laughably 
inappropriate um you know for example if i'm if i'm trying to if i want to buy a lawnmower on amazon and i've just bought a lawnmower all of a sudden i'm getting recommended lawnmowers as if i need another lawnmower but what is the what are the rights implications of, of this because what what people might think is fairly innocuous well, I suppose, that, first of all, I'd like to distinguish between the targeting of adverts, which is the, the lawnmower and the other expensive items you've just met, made a one-off purchase of, um, and the uh, prioritising of, uh, I suppose, organic or editorial content. Because I think people are aware that... Um, adverts are targeted at them, I think maybe people are less aware that the content they see is perhaps not the same as the content that other people see. And you might say uh, that's common sense when you're talking about a feed uh, filled with information from your friends, but less so if you're maybe talking about news items and, and, and sort of public interest information. So, the rights implications, I think the first question is whose rights are we talking about? Because typically when we talk about freedom of expression, we think about the speaker and uh, their right to express uh, whatever it is they want to say. But in an online environment, you can speak but not be heard. And so the question is, these algorithms that prioritise content, do you have a right to uh, a place on them? Do you have a right to equal treatment on them? Some people have distinguished between the right to speech and the right to reach, saying that freedom of expression uh, covers the content and your access maybe to a platform, but it doesn't give you the automatic right to the maximum audience possible. So there is a question there about what we mean by, by freedom of expression. And I think the, the, this is new for these sorts of um, tools, these recommender tools, though there may be... Uh, comparators we can look at in the, uh, the traditional media. The other side of the coin is the rights of the audience. Susie mentioned uh, information. And I suppose the question is, if we are talking about uh, the rights of the audience, is it a right to only see information that uh, you're interested in? So should the recommender algorithms, the, the tools, actually just prioritise that? Or are there different interests in what uh, an audience might be said to want? So is there some sort of public interest in diversity or pluralism? So there is a question there about the nature of the, um, the audience's rights and whether it conflicts with the speaker's rights. And then the one that is often overlooked is the right of the platform. Do they have a right, a self-standing right, in how they prioritise information? Are they acting, for example, 
like an editor in a newspaper setting the agenda? Is that within freedom of expression or is it just part of the rights of the speaker and the audience? And does that question, the answer to that question change if we say, well, this is all automated, this is artificial intelligence, this is not the intention of the platform itself. This is just the consequence of some, some computer programming. So there are some difficult issues uh, that are not always looked at when we talk about free speech on the internet. And I think those questions about, particularly about the rights of the receiver are really interesting because it's quite different as well to sort of standard media where, you know, I can choose which newspaper I want to go and buy or if I don't want to buy any newspaper. But once you get into sort of accessing social media, but also, as, as you were saying, even sort of online news content, it's very difficult then to know how you're making a choice. And I think, I mean, one example of, of how important this question is, I think, is the Facebook emotional contagion um, experiment that they did a few years back, uh, where they looked at how they could change how people feel, depending on the order of their newsfeed. So by manipulating the order of someone's newsfeed, you can make them feel happy or, or, or depressed, if you like, uh, simply by the way uh, that's being managed. And I think that's a very interesting question on the receiving kind of side as to whether or not I can choose that I just want my social media newsfeed to be full of uplifting cat videos or whether I really want it uh, to be full of news about COVID death rates or something which is uh, is going to be more more newsworthy perhaps. Um, where, where, where is the where is the happy button Susie because my my newsfeed really needs one at the moment. <laughs> I can send you some uplifting just, just BBC regional button. regional <laughs> rabbit videos if you like. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> There's a good one about a cat on a paddleboard on BBC East. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm on it. I'm all I'm all over it. Same <laughs> recommender algorithm as me, Lorna. Um, <laughs> but I think you know the the issues that you raised as well about platforms as well as the receiver are really fascinating. Um, and. You know, is there any existing jurisprudence on these issues? Either you know, you were in any national courts or European Court of Human Rights, the European Court of Justice. I, I think the these issues haven't really been well considered to date. I, I think this is partly the the time lag you get in 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 cases because people really only started uh, talking generally about some of these issues from maybe 2014 on. And so it is a question of then uh, that getting through all the national courts and going on to the, say the ECHR and, and, and the timeline in, in, in hearing and judgment. So we haven't really got much that is, is, is bang on topic. In terms of the rights of the platform, I suppose the nearest from the European Court of Human Rights is an admissibility decision about um, Pirate Bay. And the court at that point assumed that Pirate Bay, which was just providing the, um, the software to do peer sharing of copyright works was actually engaged in in freedom of expression although it didn't choose any of the content it just provided the tools by which users could share content 
So that's suggesting that um, a platform uh, has an independent right um, that um, an engagement with the content itself is, is not actually necessary. As I said, that's an admissibility decision uh, where the Article 10 claim was uh, fairly summarily dismissed. So it may be that those issues weren't thoroughly um, considered there. The, the, the more recent cases like Delphi, which concerned, uh, if you like, uh, a host's immunity, aren't the, the classic uh, social media platform situation either because in those cases it was all about a news platform dealing with user comments that related to uh, a, a story put there by the platform so in a way there is still that engagement with with content that makes the platform look like a speaker even if you're you're stretching uh, the consequences of of speech there were a couple of cases um, a while ago um, from the uh, Court of Justice in the EU where the, um, the advocates general in those cases actually suggested that there should be a separate right to transmit. Um, but the court in those cases did, did not pick up on them. So this question of um, whether the platform has rights uh, and, and what those rights might look like if, if, if it does, haven't really been considered, I don't think, uh, from this perspective. In terms of users uh, or the recipient's rights, I suppose we could look at some of the case law from uh, the Court of Human Rights, the Strasbourg Court, to do with public service broadcasting. Um, the court has emphasized that the state is the ultimate, ultimate guarantor of pluralism. And, and it's made this, this, this statement quite generally. So it's not limited to public service broadcasting. It talks about the importance of pluralism quite a bit when cases about newspapers come, come through as well. But in the context of public service broadcasting, you often get the situation where there isn't that much choice, that uh, it's not the situation uh, where you said you can go out and, and pick your newspaper. You're much more dependent on what that system is pushing out at you. And so in a, in a way, you can perhaps say it, it, it's similar to an algorithm that's curating your feed. And, and there the court has emphasized that it is important that those sorts of systems are plural and give um, users, recipients, access to a range of voices and also reasonably accurate information. So it's not just about numbers, it's about diversity, but also I think something about reliability in there. However, it's, it is a bit of a leap to suddenly take that and to say, 
this gives um, a, a user a right to a, a, a particular uh, range of information. And I think ultimately you cannot make people listen to staff or look at staff they don't want to. What about regulation? Because I get the sense that governments are very, very slowly um, coming around to the idea of regulating social media. Um, I mean, it seems like a almost sort of endless um, wait for anything to happen in that respect. Um, and, and, and I understand there is a an important free speech element and there's a concern within governments not to unduly trammel free speech but we, we we've got here for example the um the online harms bill the digital services act can you see anything here or in europe or beyond which is responsibly dealing with these kind of issues well i should start with a disclaimer because i have been working with carnegie uk trust on a on a proposal to regulate social media uh, and that proposal uh, was to regulate the platforms and not the content and we thought you could do that through a statutory duty of care which is about making a risk assessment as to the way the systems work and then trying to mitigate those risks and some of that looks similar to um, what was in the online harms white paper um, in the UK uh, we don't yet know what's coming out uh, in the online safety bill. Um, and it also looks similar to some of the ideas that uh, you see in the Digital Services Act. That's the, um, the uh, measures that might be imposed on the, the major platforms. And I think this sort of approach could have an influence on how recommender algorithms work in the sense that I think at the moment the, uh, the platforms are fairly understandably setting um, their systems up to maximise their bottom line. And so what they're doing is uh, prioritizing user engagement rather than necessarily prioritizing for perhaps other metrics such as reliability of, of speakers or range of views or uh, other uh, characteristics that might play into the idea of a pluralistic media environment. So you could say that that sort of obligation to think about whether your recommender algorithms are just prioritizing uh, extreme uh, speech, uh, prioritizing anti-vax uh, messaging, for example, um, whether that sort of thing is you know, caught by a duty of care then question what is the, the, the speech implication? Well, it goes back to, well, whose speech? What, what interests are we looking at? And it really depends on whether we think either the speaker or the platform have rights in this. So would a speaker have a right 
to be prioritized that would be, be affected by this? Um, do the platforms have speech rights in their algorithm that would be affected by this? And what is the nature of the, 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 the audience's rights to receive? So depending on where you start from the answers to those questions will you know, be uh, influencing the answer to um, the questions of whether whether there's a you know a, a, an undue interference with speech rights. One of the areas of law that is increasingly being used in the digital rights sphere is competition law. I'm wondering mm. if you think that um, has the capacity to address some of the rights issues here on the sort of the rights of the receiver, particularly because where you're talking about recommender algorithms on platforms that then become a, a, an absolutely sort of dominant source of, of news or information. You know, can we and do we need competition between recommender algorithms or how could, how could competition law maybe um, feed into this? Com competition laws, um, quite interesting. I, I think there is a concern in some instances that you can use recommender algorithms or search engines to prioritize certain content over other, and that this could um, sort of lead to a warping of um, the, the market. Uh, you, you've seen some uh, competition investigations into, for example, the impact of Google search on competitors that they prioritize, they have prioritized their own services over competing services, which has uh, knocked quite a few uh, companies out of the market. So in those circumstances, you can say, well, maybe that's an abuse of a dominant position. But it does depend really on uh, finding that a platform or a, a recommender algorithm is, is dominant. And then also, it, the, the market doesn't necessarily end up giving you that, that, that diverse range of content. So you might still find that even if you have got a dominant provider, that there are limits to what it can provide against a, a sort of not very well functioning content market, for example. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's an entire solution. And I think there are some difficult questions about how you define dominance. I, I think that that's hugely interesting and, and, and I think there's a, a lot to follow up on in a way. I, I, I suppose, I well, I, I think actually we're going to have to wrap it up. So thank you very much, Lorna. Where can we find your work um, with Carnegie or, or any other work on, the, on this issue? The uh, proposal that uh, we uh, produced is on the Carnegie UK website. Uh, and as part of that work, I did write a paper about how we might assess freedom of speech and 
social media platforms, including some of the issues relating to recommender algorithms. So that is there on the Carnegie website. So thanks so much. Um, and we will hopefully speak to you again. So thank you very much to our guest, Lorna Woods, to my co-presenter, Susie Allegre, um, to the Office of the OSCE Representative on Freedom of Media for a grant through their Spotlight on AI and Freedom of Expression project to support this mini-series, um, and also to Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering LLB undergraduate program taught in London. With Goldsmiths rich heritage of social awareness and engagement, you can study with students and academics passionate about criminal justice, human rights, politics and law within a framework of social justice. If you want show notes and to support this podcast, you can go to www.betterhumanpodcast.com. Thanks very much. See you next time. My name is Adam Wagner. Goodbye.